Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Let's pray at this time. Father, we thank you for making it possible for us to come together to fellowship with one another around your word and the principles thereof and around your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that we can do nothing without you, so we look to you and we ask that you would guide us today. Let your will in our lives be done. Let your kingdom come. Let your glory be revealed. Whatever these men and women stand in the need of for their professional lives, we ask that you grant it in the name of Jesus. Supply every need. Lord God, I pray that stress and distress will not be able to linger in the lives of the people of God. Lord, let them know your presence. And your word said that in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. We give you glory for all that you are and all that you have done, all that you shall do. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I mentioned that today is compliment day. Compliment day. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you you know of uh, Mark Twain. You know of Mark Twain from... uh, Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and so many other classics. Mark Twain, the great uh, folk philosopher of the 19th century and into the 20th century, uh, Mark Twain said, bless you, Dr. Burns, he said, I could, I could, I can live six months off a good compliment. He said, I can live off a, off a compliment six months. What did Mark Twain mean by that? He meant that when someone speaks something that's affirming, something that is um, encouraging and uplifting, it so invigorates a person that it can carry him or her carry his or her mood, carry his or her sense of self-image and self-worth for a long time. And I stated to the first session this morning, those of you who were a part of the first session, if um, if you agreed that it was a pretty good session, uh, put it in the comments, if so. <laughs> I, I hope so. But anyway, in the uh, in the first session, we talked about the fact that sometimes um, I've been uh, guilty of not not complimenting because you know I I try to take opportunities to speak well of people. Remember the Bible said, "Bless the Lord, O my soul." One of the definitions of bless is to speak well of. Um, and and the Bible tells us to bless those who curse us. So speak well. Now, um, I think that, that, you know, I've done a fairly decent job. I can do better, of course. 
but a fairly decent job of speaking well of people. But but the challenge is that sometimes I speak well of them and they didn't hear it. In other words, I was talking to someone about someone else. And you know, I, I hope it gets back to them, but you can't depend on that. You can't depend on that. Um, we also need to speak so that people can hear it themselves, you know, so we don't run the risk. Now, listen, it's a blessing for good reports to get back to people. That that really is affirming. It really is affirming. But there's another kind of affirmation that comes from just directly speaking. By the way, I, I, when I said affirming, it reminded me of uh, Dr. Gary Chapman's classic book and classic series of books and conferences and all of that entitled The Five Love Languages. If you are familiar with Dr. Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, you know that it is one of the most insightful studies that one might ever engage. And uh, if you're not familiar, I certainly encourage you to study, uh, learn um, the, uh, the book entitled the five love languages. And of the five, the first, and I think he agrees, the most important perhaps is words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. And um, even if our primary languages are the other four, we need them undergirded by words, positive words, healthy words, life-giving words, encouraging words, even at times challenging words, okay? And so I strongly encourage us, Pastor Paisley, bless you, sir. I strongly encourage us, and particularly as leaders, particularly as leaders, one of the great tools of a great leader is words. One of the great tools of a great leader is verbal communication, okay? One of the tools, one of the most powerful tools of an effective leader, I'm talking about you, one of the great tools of an effective leader is verbal communication, words, spoken words, and written words as well, but I'm speaking now about spoken words. And because of the potency of spoken words, we really need to be careful to make sure that we use words skillfully. Our spoken words can be a sword. Our spoken words can be a scalpel. Our spoken words can be a weapon doing damage. Our words may be an instrument bringing about healing. Scalpel, sword, both cut. But there is a healthy cut and there is a death-dealing cut. Okay. And that's not all that words are. The Bible talks about, one of my favorite passages is one that says in the book of the Proverbs that a word fitly spoken, a word fitly spoken 
is as apples of gold and pictures of silver. Such a beautiful image. Words fitly spoken are like apples of gold in pictures of silver. All right. So compliment day. And here's the most important, uh, one of the most important, well, no, the most important aspect of compliment. And that is that you are a compliment to God. Your, your existence is a compliment to God. Your existence speaks well of God. I said your existence speaks well of God. The fact that you exist is a compliment to God. Listen, uh, when I learned that we were created for God's glory, we were created to praise God, it was a great blessing to me. When I learned that late 80s, early 90s, that we were created to praise the Lord, it blessed me immeasurably, immensely. And it is true that we were created to lift our hands, to lift our voices, to sing, to bow, you know, all the Hebrew terms, Tehila, Tolda, Yada, uh, all of those expressions, that is exactly right. We were created to praise God. That's good. I command my hands to praise the Lord. Okay, great. But it's deeper than that. To say that we were created to praise God does not just mean we were created to mechanically. It also means that our works praise him. Our deeds, your profession, the way that you perform in your professional life is a praise or a compliment to God. Apostle Coleman, so good to see you, sir. You follow that? The way that you carry yourself is a praise or a compliment to God if you do it well. So there is the praise that we give in the liturgical sense of it. And then there's the praise that we uh, do in terms of our vocation and, and our profession and our so forth. But, but it's deeper than that. And that's the part that I didn't get until later. And that is that when the Bible says, for example, in Isaiah 43 and 7, he talks about having created for his glory. For in the Bible doesn't only mean in order to obtain. In other words, we would read it this way. I've created him in order that I might obtain glory. But created for his glory can also mean because of. For also means because of. Let me give you an example. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. The Bible says, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free, made us free from the law of sin and death. It goes on and says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, 
God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. There the word condemn sin in the flesh. For sin, condemn sin in the flesh. For their means because or because of. He sent his son for sin. He sent his son not in order to obtain. He sent his son because of sin. Can you see it? And for sin there means and because of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So for in the scripture does not just mean in order to obtain. For also means because of. So when the Bible says that he created us for his glory, it doesn't just mean. It doesn't just mean he created us in order to obtain glory. That's fine. But more importantly, he created us because of his glory. Now, listen to me. Why is that important? Because if you tell people we were created to praise God, we were created for his glory, and that means in order for him to get glory, then you give, you give the impression that, that God created us for us all to say mechanically, hallelujah, glory be to God, God is good. You know, he did, God didn't need us to tell him he's good. God didn't need us to tell like he's some ego, egomaniac. God needs somebody to shout. God, no, remember this. One of the great eternal attributes of God is that God is self-existent. And self-existence means he needs nothing and no one. He has no contingencies. See, so we have to be careful when we tell people we are, we are created to praise God and leave it right there because you give the impression to, to some, the enemy will play somebody's mind perhaps to say, oh, so he just created me because he wanted me to be, you know, uh, a little praise robot. He just want you understand what I'm saying? He wanted me to be a pawn. No, no, no. You were not created just so that you could clap hands and pat feet and all of that. Your creation is because of God's glory. In other words, because he's so awesome and because he's so good, there you are. And your existence is a compliment to God. Your existence is a testament to how great he is. You see the difference? We gave the illustration um, this morning that when parents have children. The fact that those babies exist, when that baby comes forth, that baby is already a compliment to the parents. That doesn't mean the parent had the baby so the baby could grow up and feed them and uh, 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 take care of them when they get old. That, that's not, parents with good sense didn't do that. The existence of the child is a compliment to the parent. And God says, uh, I'm far greater as a parent than you could ever be, infinitely greater. And so your existence brings God glory. Listen, listen. The atheist who denies God's existence complements God's existence by his own. 
<laughs> Let me say it again from this morning. You had to have had to have been in the first session to understand what I'm saying. I said the atheist who denies God's existence compliments God's existence by his own. The fact that Mr. Atheist, the fact that Miss Agnostic exists complements the existence of the being whose existence they either deny or question, respectively. Isn't that something? Your existence glorifies God. Look at what it says um, in the book of uh, Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy. The, the four beasts and the 24 elders and everybody that's on the scene at the time in Revelation chapter 4 begin to praise God the Father, saying, Thou art worthy to receive glory, honor, and power, and praise, for thou hast created all things. Listen, for thou hast created all things. Listen, and for thy pleasure they are. And for thy pleasure they are. Now, for, because of, and because of thy pleasure they are and were created. They were created to bring God pleasure, yes, but it is God's pleasure that they exist. Whether they ever bring him pleasure or not, just the fact that they exist is his pleasure. I'm telling you that you, that's what I'm trying to get across to you, that you are a compliment to God. Your existence is, I know that you want to do well and you want to achieve, and you want to aspire, and you should. But it should come from a place of gratitude to God, not grappling for God. Gratitude for God's approval, not grasping for God's approval. Did you hear what I said? Hallelujah. You're doing good because he loves you, not to cause him to love you. I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. When Jesus Christ of Nazareth came into the public eye, he had not accomplished anything that the scripture records, anything uh, except, you know, he'd grown in stature and in favor and in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. But in terms of having taught any lessons, in terms of healing any sick, in terms of casting out into devils, any of the major things that he did later in life, we have no record of him having done any of them. And yet, when he went into the waters of baptism with John the Baptist and came up, the father spoke, the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased and he hasn't preached his first sermon. I'm well pleased and he hasn't healed his first blind eye. I'm well pleased and he hasn't opened his first first." Deaf ear. I'm well pleased. He has not walked on any water. He has not told the wind, peace be still. But this is my son. I love him and I like him. My beloved son, I love him, in whom I'm well pleased. I like him. And he's mine. That kind of attitude and that kind of heart concerning God and your connection with him brings peace. Oh, Jesus. That kind 
of validation, that kind of affirmation brings confidence. Suppose your children heard you say, he or she is mine, I love him or her, and I like him or her. Well, sir. And listen, he didn't say it in secret only. He said it where others could hear him. It's in the book of Matthew. It's chapter three. It's the last verse, maybe 19. Uh, but I, I love it. I love the, I love all the, the accounts, but I love the Matthew account because it says, and lo, a voice from heaven. <laughs> all right, I'm getting too excited. Calm down. It says, and lo, verse 17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this, you see this one right here? Now, I don't want you to mess with any of them, but don't mess with this. This, <laughs> oh boy, if you were raised in the country, you may have run up on some parent who saw there were some bullies and so forth in the community, or maybe some of you in, in the hood in the, in the in the city. And, uh, you had the kind of rough parent, and they grabbed you. Say, look here, look here, look here, look here. Y'all may mess with all these other children you shouldn't be in, but this one, you better not touch him. <laughs> well, well, that's that's sort of, not exactly, but that's sort of what the father said. This, this is mine. I love him, and I like him. You know, I was in a, uh, I was in a beautiful homegoing service recently, and um, <laughs> all right, Atkinson. <laughs> oh my, um, um, I was in a uh, homegoing service, and they started singing that beautiful song, a beautiful song, Doctor uh, Doctor Burns. I'm responding to your comment. They were singing a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song in terms of its melody and its intent. It's just that it's erroneous in terms of its theology. Here's what um, they were singing. I'm just a nobody. It's just that part right there trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody, okay? <sighs> that I'm just a nobody part. That part right there, that's not scriptural. Not like it's a beautiful song. You know, you know the fellows can sing. The fellows who made it, oh my God, some of the greatest singers in history. But, So, so I was sitting there and, uh, well, I had the mask on. The mask, one, I don't like these masks, but one thing the mask can do is that they can cover up uh, whether we approve or disapprove of some things. You understand? And uh, so I enjoyed trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. But the, And I, I see, again, good intent. I know what it means. It's not about me. In myself, I have nothing. In myself, I am nothing. In myself, I can do nothing. That's true. 
but I'm not in myself and I'm not of myself. I am created by the great God of all eternity. And he said, I'm his son. I can't be nobody and be the son of God at the same time. That's not being arrogant. That's not being conceited. See, that's of the devil. But in terms of knowing who God identifies you as, you're going to have to have that if you're going to move. If you're going to move forward in God. Remember this. If the devil can't use your evil against you, he'll use your good against you. What's that mean? If he can't lift you up in arrogance and pride and conceit, then he will take your aim and your intent to be humble and your intent to be meek and your intent to be selfless. He'll take that and use that against you and cause you to operate in a spirit, if you're not careful, in a spirit of self-castigation and self-immolation and self-hatred. That's not of God either. It's not of God. If the enemy can't use your evil against you, he'll use your good against you. Well, let's leave uh, that for a moment. We're talking about again, though, that this week there's the observance of compliment day. Let's take the opportunity to compliment others. Let's take the opportunity to use the, the vital tool of leadership called verbal communication. Use it to build people, to strengthen people from within our innermost circle, family, spouse, children, siblings, parents, from, the, from within our innermost circle to the outermost. And people need verbal affirmation. There is so much verbal abuse in this hour. There is so much verbal toxicity never before in my experience have I witnessed as much verbal toxicity, verbal poison, words of antagonism and hostility as I have in, in the public sector, in, in, in communication, uh, among politicians, uh, <clears throat> so much venom. And so whatever we can do as kingdom leaders, as kingdom professionals to turn the tide, let that be, let that be our intent, let that be our effort. Um, but alongside that, know that you are a compliment to God. You are a compliment to God. Yes, a word that I've never heard used as much as it's being used right now. I'm going to put it in the comment myself. <laughs> I haven't, I, I've known the word for a long time, but I've never heard it used more frequently than it has since the past several years. The word is vitriol. I've never heard vitriol used as much. That which is vitriolic 
is that which is harsh, that which is acerbic, that which is biting, tearing. We've never heard as much of that term used as it's being used right now. Okay, let's turn the tide on that. All right. Um, so as we as we continue in our, let me put this up. Let, let me put this up uh, for you. Um, you saw the cover, but some of you may have missed it. The cover, being, becoming, doing is our ongoing thrust. And uh, make sure you notice the art. Make sure you notice the art fellow with the hard hat. And also remember to subscribe to FKP, the podcast. We've been talking about the fact that we are created in the image and after the likeness of God. We were created in the image and after the likeness of God. And part of that, not all of that, but part of that means, uh, or, or rather, part of that is seen in the fact that we are tripartite beings. He is triune. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet he's one God. Even so, we are spirit, soul, body. We are essentially spirit beings. To be created in the image and after the likeness of God, uh, it means that God is capital S spirit. We are lowercase s spirit. That's another part of what it means. All right. And we are spirits, but we are spirits housed in bodies. We are spirits housed in bodies. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse one, the apostle Paul says, for we know that if our earthly house, earthly dirt, soil, ground, dust, house, body, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Well, if the body is the house, who is the occupant? Who is the resident? Spirit. Spirit. And the Bible says that when we, spirit, were housed in the bodies in Genesis 2 and 7, the Bible says, and God formed man, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. The word breathe and breath, those Hebrew terms uh, can be translated wind, but they can also be translated spirit. And when we take a New Testament lens and look at Old Testament literature, we understand that when God blew into man's nostrils the breath of life, he was not merely blowing oxygen, he blew or he exhaled or he transferred, transmitted spirit out of himself, out from himself into that body. The resident, the spirit man was transmitted, relocated into the house called the body. And when the spirit being was transmitted into the physical being, the Bible says the man be came a living soul, spirit inhabiting a body rightly became a soul. 
And one of the most powerful truths that can be inferred or not just inferred, but directly derived from that text is that the soul becomes the site, the S-I-T-E of man's becoming. Our being is spirit. Our essence, our essential being is spirit. Our essential being is spirit. The body, though you could refer to it as physical being, is housing for the spirit being. Okay? And the purpose of a body is to give expression to a spirit. You understand that God intended that humanity have its dimension and dominion on the earth, that, that humanity live out its reality and live out its accomplishments and their our relationships and all of that in the earthly realm. Consequently, he gave us housing uh, commensurate or concomitant or compatible with our dimension, okay? So he gave us an earth house that we might be able to operate in earthly matters. But we are not earth. We are spirits residing in earth. And the the juxtaposition, the junction, the synergy of spirit and body is carried out through a reality called soul. Soul psyche, well, Hebrew, soul nefesh is the uh, term. Uh, soul Hebrew, in the New Testament that is, psyche. And of course, it is in the soul where uh, there are certain faculties of our being, certain aspects of our being, uh, uh, they're resident there. I use an acronym, RIVER. R is for recollection. It's where our memories are kept. I, imagination. V, volition, the will. E, emotion. And then the, the latter R is R to the second power, reason and reflection. All of those things are soulish or solical. Both of those adjectives are used. Solical or soulish. That's where our properties, soulish properties reside in the psyche. Right? Okay. And here's what I'm saying. It is in the psyche. It is in the psyche, not psychic. That's not what I'm saying. It is in the psyche of the being, of the human being, that those things that God has imparted to the spirit of that person come into fruition, come into development and processing. It's the place where inspiration becomes revelation. It's, it's the place where the eternal becomes temporal. Okay? So let's work with that a little bit. Uh, you know, um, 
the Bible says, and, and this is how that hard hat applies to us today. Did you see the image with the hard hat? The reason why I put that hard hat image on there is because in the book of uh, Genesis chapter one, we were created in the image after the likeness of God, correct? So to study God is to learn human. To study God is to learn oneself. The enemy will try to keep you from understanding and knowing God because he knows that as long as you don't understand and know God, you're not going to understand and know yourself either. Because God is our blueprint. God is our template. God is our pattern. God is our design. And so we're not going to know ourselves until we know the one after whom we were patterned, designed. Sometimes I say it this way. Um, one of the great outcomes of the study of theology, it is the learning of meology. You know, I'm, I'm making that up, coining it. Okay, one of the outcomes of the learning or the study of theology is the learning of meology. So studying God, I have a lesson in it that has to do with God, the leader, God, the original leader. This fellowship of kingdom professionals is all about our being leaders in our professions and leaders by means of our professions. Leadership is our destiny. And one of the places that God intends to have us express that leadership is in our profession. That's not the only place, but that's one of the key places. We, we express our leadership calling and leadership destiny through our professions as one of the main forums and platforms for it. Are you listening there? All right. So if we're created in the image and after the likeness of God, it stands to reason then that our leadership development and our leadership being unfolded should find its pattern in the way God's leadership unfolded uh, in terms of at least our revelation of his leadership. And so again, that revelation is Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. The word is Elohim, a plural term, for a singular being. It goes back to my original statement that one of the things that Elohim implies to us, intimates to us, is that he is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet one God. You follow? He's one God, and yet there's plurality within his singularity. Even so, we're spirit, soul, body. We're tripartite, yet we're one being. And then I also mentioned the fact that God is self-existent. In the beginning, God, Elohim. El, the, the root El means the, the strong one. He is totally self-existent. He, he needs nothing, nobody, no contingencies, no dependencies. He's God all by himself. The saints of God of old have said he don't need nobody else. That's self-existent. Now, Inasmuch as he's our pattern, that means that we can be, we can't be self-existent because we need things. We need water. We need air. We need 
food, right? Clothing, shelter, those primary, that, that, that pyramid of needs, well, these are primary needs. Yes, but we can be self-consistent. We can be self-accepting. We can be self-adjusted. What does that mean? It means that we don't have to be those who are in a convoluted sense, the needy, the leaky, the ones who are always begging for approval, always begging for somebody to validate or to confirm, begging for somebody to tell me I'm somebody. We can live a, a, in a place of, of self-acceptance and self-adjustment and self-consistency that we are whole, W-H-O-L-E. That's how we mirror God's uh, self-existence. We're not self-existent, but we're whole in ourselves because he has made us whole. That's the parallel there. But the one that I want to get to is the second parallel. In the beginning, God, and I can come back to that later. In the beginning, God, the next word is created. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Genesis 1 and 1, this is the very first verse in the very first chapter, in the very first book of the Pentateuch, the Torah, the writings of Moses. In sequence, in sequence in terms of how it's presented, this is the earliest information that we are being given in Genesis. Now, it is believed that Job is actually the oldest of the books and that Moses wrote Job. But Job is not a part of the Torah. It's not a part of the Pentateuch. Uh, so we're looking at the earliest insight that we get into God in the Torah. And so here it is. In the beginning, God was the next word created. The first thing we learn about God in Genesis, apart from who he is, is what he does. Ladies, gentlemen, the first thing we learn about God, apart from who he is, is what he does. And the first thing that we learn that uh, he does is create two things. Number one, in the beginning, God, and the very next word is a verb. And there are two kinds of verbs, as you know, the action verb and the linking or the being verb. So in other words, there are verbs of doing, action verbs, and there are verbs of being, linking verbs. In Genesis chapter one, the first verb that is applied to God is a verb of doing. What is the title of our ongoing series? Being, becoming, doing. The first thing that, that uh, Moses shows us is God's being. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, the strong one. In the beginning, a plurality and a singularity. In the beginning, self-existent. Got it? His being. And he takes us from his being to his doing. In the beginning, God created. He created. 
That's his doing, being and doing, being and doing, being and doing, being and doing. That's what Moses shows us about God. That's why there's a hard hat on the graphic. Because when we meet God, he's on a construction site. He's in a construction project. He's creating. And not only creating, he's making a world. That's why the hard hat. Because that's the first image that we get of God. That's the first role we see God undertaking. He has his hard hat on. That's right. And the reason why that's important, kingdom professionals, is because if the first thing that we learn about God in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 is that God was doing something, that God was working, then work cannot be, and should not be rather, work should not be underestimated. And the enemy many times the enemy many times tries to hinder us by causing us to feel that our work is a waste, that our work day and our work efforts and all of that are futile. But God dignified work when he allowed the very first verb that is associated with him to be a verb not of being, but a verb of doing. A work word. In the beginning, God was working. That is important. Because if in the beginning, God was working, and I'm working, it means I'm resembling my father. I'm emulating my father. And what I need to do is find out how he works, what it is he works, where he works, why he works, and align my work with his. Well, let me tell you this. Whether you know it or not, your work is already in alignment. All honorable work is already in alignment with the work of God. It's just that too many of us do not know. Too many of us do not know that you don't just commune with God when you have your hands clasped and you're looking up saying, Father, in the name of... that. That's great. But when you put on your work hat or your scrubs or your teacher outfit, you understand, those things that you wear in your professional day or your law outfit or your grocer outfit or your truck driver outfit. When you don your attire that has to do with your professional work, ladies and gentlemen, when you go out the door to work, your father's with you. This is not subservient. This is not subordinate. This is not servile. To the contrary, you are co-laboring with God. Some people have the mistaken idea that you're only co-laboring with God if you're a preacher. You're only co-laboring with God if you're the praise and worship leader. You're only co-laboring with God if you're passing out tracts and, 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 and booklets concerning salvation. Yes, that is co-laboring with God. 
But every one of you, every one of you child care workers that are changing the diapers of those babies, that are wiping the noses of those little children who are teaching them the ABC song. <laughs> every one of you that are teaching your trig students how to make calculations that are going to bring them to a place of being engineers. You're teaching them calculus, teaching them how they can build bridges to replace this decaying infrastructure that characterizes our nation. This is also the work of God because when you read Genesis chapter one, you don't find anywhere in Genesis chapter one where God was giving out a track for anybody to get saved. You don't find anywhere in Genesis chapter one where God was having choir rehearsal. You don't find anywhere in Genesis chapter one where God was uh, doing any of those quote unquote religious things that we would think of. God is making a world. God is making a world. God is is <laughs> God is 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 putting irrigation certain places. He's putting the water a certain place, sculpting the land a certain way. God is bringing forth animals and plants, agriculture, horticulture, botany, zoology. That's what God chemistry. This is what God the 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 the, the periodic table. This is what God is doing in Genesis chapter one. God is not just God of your Sunday or Saturday if you worship on the Sabbath, seventh-day Sabbath. God is the God of your Monday. That's what I've been trying to tell you. He's God of your Monday. He wants you to know that he is just as vitally interested in where you are in your work week as he, as he is where you are on your worship event. He's wearing a hard hat. And one of the problems, excuse me, but I'm going to say it. One of the problems with the part of the church with which I'm responsible or for which I'm responsible is that there are too many of us bishops, for example, just example, just example, okay, just that, that are wearing miters and not wearing hard hats. There are too many of us that are wearing preacher hats and dollies, excuse me, and and convention hats and 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 zucchettos, but not wearing hard hats. What do you mean when you say that, Brother Blue? You got something against the liturgical um attire investments and stuff? I see you wearing that stuff. You got something against it? No, here's the point. When those things become an end to themselves, we're missing the whole point as to why we're called. Whether the dolly, whether the zucchetto, the chapel bell, the mitre, all those things in spirit are supposed to be hard hats. In other words, we're working on building lives. Working on building relationships, working on, working on building communities, working on building people's self-image. Ah, uh, come on now. If we're wearing all that other stuff, but underneath that there's not a hard hat, we are a bunch of costume party attendees. We're in a costume party. This world is a construction site. 
There's work to be done. There are lives to be built. There are marriages to be built. There are people that are broken who need to be repaired and built back up. So no, let us wear the mitre. Let us wear the zakata. Let us wear the chapel bay or sister. Wear your convention hat. They're beautiful. But know that underneath all those things in the spirit, there's a hard hat that all of us are supposed to be wearing. We're supposed to be building people and building systems that honor God and bless people. May I show you one more time that hand holding that hard hat? That's God's will for all of us. You don't believe it? Go to the book of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonas, for flesh and blood have not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will throw a costume party. Upon this rock I will put on a pretty robe. Upon this rock I will put on a fancy cross. That's not what he said. He said, upon this rock, I will build. I will build my church. That's God's will. And he's calling for us, according to the book of 1 Corinthians 3 and 9, to be laborers together with God. He's building his church because the church becomes the construction crew to build the world. Let me say it again. Let me say it again. He's building the church and the church becomes the construction crew and the construction system and the construction team to build the world. Because notice that the same one who said, I will build my church said, go into what? All the world. Our time is gone. Let's, uh, Let's prepare to depart. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your investment. If you feel as if uh, these words and our time of sharing that they are beneficial, please share them, this with someone else and encourage him or her, particularly someone who needs to know that his or her existence is a compliment to God. His or her very being is a compliment to God. We're not finished. We're just closing. For today. Until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ. Go build something. <laughs> go build somebody. Or continue what you're already building. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together let us bring pleasure to Christ's heart and fame to his name. Until we meet again at the appointed hour, may the peace of God. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
May God bless you until we meet again.